Frame a word. What is God highlighting right now? And I think as we, we all grow and mature together, and all of us uh, need maturing in areas of our, of our faith, uh, I believe what's going to happen is we can cultivate a culture here at Newbridge where these things are no longer awkward. There is coming the day where when we're talking about the prophetic, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, when we're talking about some of the supernatural or uh, mysterious works in the kingdom that God is doing, eventually, and I hope it's sooner rather than later, later we, we won't have to be as careful. If you're visiting here, if you're here, and, and Glenn came from Watkinsville, is that where you drove from? Somewhere up in that area? Drove 40 miles to come because he's, he's heard what God's doing here. And as people are coming, I think what is really going to make the difference, and I thank God for dynamic music, but that, anybody can improve on any set. And so there's always somebody trying. Good preaching or teaching, that's, that's all good and well. We need all of those things. But I'm going to tell you what people are looking for. They're looking for the presence of God. They're looking for the work and the presence and the movement of God because after all preachers come and go and you know music comes and goes, it fades in, it fades out. But, but what, what we're really longing for is we're longing to say, Lord, what are you doing right now? Lord, I would love to participate in what you're doing right now because what you're doing is the most meaningful thing. And I think in our churches, you know, we get questions from time to time. You may get them too. I know we do in leadership. Uh, What's God doing at your church? And I know what they mean when they ask that, and it's not the right question. It's not really about what God is doing at your church. It's it's what is God doing from your church? What's He doing that begins here and moves outward? Because uh, the Lord... uh, is not just you know, wanting to attend a midweek service or a Sunday service. He's actually doing bigger and better things. And I, I hope that our hunger to get in on that is growing. Yeah. All right, that was for free. That didn't cost you anything extra. That's not in the notes tonight. Um, I, I, want to, I want to bring you just an, a, kind of an open-ended series that Pastor Dustin and I will just kind of be walking through uh, on Wednesday nights for the next however long. W- what are we doing? What we're looking to do on Wednesday nights is to uh, really take time, as much time as is needed, as much time as God's given us direction. And we want to slow down in certain areas and talk more about the Holy Spirit because w- let's just do a survey. How many of you have a history in a, a local church environment where uh, the person and the work and the, of the Holy Spirit was just normal. That was just part of it. Would you raise your hand? I'm just curious. Okay, so maybe a third, maybe a half. So a lot of us, including myself, were, we cut our teeth in environments where the Holy Spirit was acknowledged theologically, but it was kind of like some bullet points and don't go beyond the bullet points. And, and what we've come to find out is that um, that's not enough. And I don't want to take for granted that we all have a scriptural understanding about who the Holy Spirit is and what He's doing. Quite frankly, most of us were denominationally discipled. That means somebody in whatever denomination got to you first discipled you in that denomination's view on everything in the kingdom. And though they were loving and well-intending and great people that had our best interest at heart, they were simply teaching you what somebody had taught them. And so we've all got some gaps, we've got some leanings in our understanding of God and the kingdom that need to be really radically shored up by what the Scriptures say. And I learned the hard way that 
God's truth is not what someone said the scriptures say, it's what the actual scriptures actually say. And most of us just hook, line, and sinker, just believe the first thing that got to us, got to our hearts, got to our minds, got to our spirits, and we never reevaluated. And so I think it's a very healthy thing for all of us as believers, and especially in this area of the Holy Spirit, where we need to be as close to on the same page as we possibly can. Uh, we just need to be honest and humble enough to say, Lord, I've got room to grow, no matter whether you were raised in the most hyper-Pentecostal environment or in, in the, the most uh, detached, um, non-charismatic environment. It's not really so much where, where we began, it's where are we going and where we are tonight. And so I want to bring you just a, a lesson tonight. I don't know how far we'll get into it, but there'll be, Lord willing, more Wednesday nights. And I'm just calling that Holy Spirit 101. Just Holy Spirit 101, and the byline is let's not assume anything. Let's not assume we've got it right. Let's not assume that we've got a better angle than anybody else. And so tonight, for some of us, it's going to be, uh, it really is going to be 101. This is stuff that maybe you've learned, maybe you've walked through, but maybe you haven't thought about it in a while. And let let me tell you where a, a lesson or a teaching like this began for me. About 18 years ago, I was challenged to write down everything I know about the Holy Spirit. And I was given as much time as I needed. Hey, Jeff, I want you to write down everything you know about the Holy Spirit. Now, I had been saved about four years at that time, had been preaching for three and a half years. I started preaching, dangerous, about six months after I got saved. But I'd been studying the Bible every single day for three years, and so I was challenged, write down everything you know about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I got about halfway down the page, and I was out of material. Halfway down, uh, just an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, and I was out of material. material. And I wasn't shamed. I wasn't, you know, the guy didn't make me feel horrible. And he said, okay, now what you did write, I want you to go back and I want you to answer the question, is what I just wrote down rooted in Scripture? And if so, what are the Scriptures that support uh, what I've written down? And I realized that everything I had written down, with the exception of maybe one or two things, I only had about maybe 12 things, and 10 of the 12 were just what somebody told me. And it made me, it was very humbling that I realized I am scripturally ignorant about the third person of the Godhead. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, a literal seven-day creation or, you know, you know, fringe things that Christians love to debate about. We're talking about God. And I was absolutely scripturally ignorant. And so it was in those years, and we're going back about 18 years ago, that I started saying, I am so vulnerable in this area. And it's such an area where people uh, debate. Sometimes they clash. Sometimes they fight. I don't want to be vulnerable. And thank God I don't have to be because I have a Bible. And so I began to study the scriptures to find out what does the Bible say. And I'll just tell you this. I don't have it all summed up yet, but I can write more than a half a page now. And my desire is this, I don't want you to be scripturally vulnerable. And if you were raised and groomed in a charismatic culture, you probably have some assertions about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit that you're very confident in, and they may very well be true, but you don't know why you believe what you believe. And that makes you vulnerable. And then there may be some that on the other end that were raised up in a, in a cessationist culture where they don't, don't believe in the active supernatural works of the Holy Spirit. And you're dogmatic. I, I just don't believe in that because this person that loved me taught me and this pastor taught me and this great teacher that I admire taught me and all those things are done. But you are also vulnerable because you can't substantiate it with Scripture. And so tonight I just want to introduce you in the most basic way 
to some things pertaining to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to launch from this verse. I'm going to, actually a couple of verses out of Acts 19. It will be familiar to some of you. And this is what Luke records in Acts 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. Paul passed through the inland country. He came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And here's their answer. And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, it's a remarkable passage of Scripture, and Christians like to debate on this one too. I just want to look at the answer they gave. These people were in some form or fashion followers of Jesus on some level. They had been baptized with the repentance of, or unto repentance of sin by John the Baptist, but on some level they were referred to as disciples. We don't know all of the details, but we do know this. Whatever their measure of upright attitude and reverence and honor towards God was, the bottom line is they had never heard of the Holy Spirit. And I thought to myself, that describes the, basically the first four years of my Christian journey. I knew the word, the phrase, the title, Holy Spirit, but I knew absolutely nothing about Him. And had I not been challenged by that brother, I don't know what God would have had to have used to wake me up to the, the absolute necessity of knowing who He is. Friends, the Holy Spirit is God in you. He is in you. Jesus is on a throne in heaven. God the Father is also on a throne in heaven. Jesus is seated at His right hand. Jesus said, I'm leaving earth. Don't panic. I'm sending another in my place, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you. And He is now in us who believe. And so we have God in us. We're the tabernacle, the temple of God. And yet so often we're left in this place of vulnerability because we don't even know who He is and yet we're supposed to cooperate with Him, and move with Him, and listen to Him, and follow Him. And so this is an opportunity for us to do kind of a, a quick hundred yard dash through some things that I believe will help us. So i got about 40 minutes tonight, and we're going to go through some of this. This is where I want to begin tonight. Let's start out with the most basic question. How is the Holy Spirit revealed in Scripture. Now this is not going to be my norm for preaching and all of that. This is a little bit more of a teaching vibe. We might get cranked up a little bit. But let's just start with basic rudimentary understanding. How is the Holy Spirit revealed in Scripture? First of all, let's look at His titles. These are the multitude of ways, or these are some of the ways that that the Holy Spirit is referred to in Scripture. Names such as Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of grace, the Spirit of life, the Spirit of adoption, and the Spirit of holiness. Now those are the kind of things when I was challenged, write down everything you know about the Holy Spirit, none of that came to my mind. I just thought Holy Spirit and maybe Spirit of God. But the Holy Spirit is referred to with multiple titles in Scripture, and those are some of them right there. But He's also typified. He is revealed by symbols. So look at some of the symbols. We have in Acts chapter 2, we see Him coming as fire, so to speak. 
wind in that same chapter. Jesus refers to him, the Holy Spirit, with a symbolism of water. We also find in Ephesians chapter number one, as Paul is writing that magnificently long sentence at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, that we talk about the seal of the Holy Spirit. And so he is referred to in Acts chapter 10. He's typified or symbolized by oil. And also, of course, most famously, the dove in John chapter 1 and verse number 32. And so when we see the Holy Spirit, we're automatically at a disadvantage because we like, we're, we're post enlightenment Christians. We, 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 have, we like finite things, measurable, quantifiable. We want to understand A to Z. We want a logical process. And right off the bat, when it comes to the third person of the Godhead, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we are already, we're, we're knocked off balance a little bit because he's got different names that refer to him in different aspects of his personhood. Now we've got different symbols that are showing other facets of how he moves and who he is. And so automatically what we need to know about the Holy Spirit is what Jesus taught Nicodemus that the Holy Spirit in that symbolism of wind, Nicodemus was taught the person that is born of the Spirit is like the wind. You don't know where he blows in, you don't know where he blows out, but you feel the effects of him when he's around you. And so the Holy Spirit, friends, is someone that as we grow in our understanding, you're going to have to loosen your grip. You're not going to control him. He's God. You're not going to fully explain Him. He's God. You can't always predict Him. He reserves the right to act in ways that'll blow your mind, that'll stretch your soul. And there are times where He's going to come in power with heat and light like a flame. There's other times that He's going to come in as that helper and comforter, and He's going to come in gently like a dove. And you're probably, your personality is predisposed to view the Holy Spirit more so in one way than the other. And that's why I tell you, you've got to loosen your grip. You have to, and I have to, let God be God. And that means that we place ourselves in a, in, in a posture of learning and humility, and we cannot dictate to God how He's going to be. He will never do anything that is antithetical to Scripture. He's never going to violate His Word. He will never act unbiblically. But I'm going to promise you something in your journey. You're going to see the Holy Spirit act biblically. You'll be able to discern that. You will never see him act unbiblically. But there are the gray area, the trouble spots are, are when he acts non-biblically. And what do I mean by that? It's not unbiblical. He's not violating the word. He can never do that. It's not biblical. He's not clearly um, um, manifesting the word. It's in the areas where it's not violating the word or clearly affirming the word. It's in the areas that aren't addressed by the word. And those areas where he reserves the right to work in our lives and in our generations in ways that scripture may not speak specifically to. And that's very difficult for a lot of Christians because we want the Lord to explain himself to us all the time and yet he's never obligated himself to do that. So the Holy Spirit is re uh, revealed with multiple titles and multiple symbols. Now let's go further down. I'm not unpacking any of this to a an uh, ad nauseum degree. So just roll with me. And we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is equally divine with the Father, God the Father, and God the Son. So let's look at this. Let me, I'll, I'll open up these verses in a moment. But the Holy Spirit is seen in Scripture as possessing the divine attributes of the Godhead. He is eternal, Hebrews 9.14. He is omnipresent, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. He is omnipotent or all-powerful, Luke 135, and omniscient, 1 Corinthians 2, 
10 and 11. Now, if you're not getting all of these, don't panic. We can get you a copy of the notes. But let me read some of these verses. The Holy Spirit is eternal. There's only one eternal being, and that being is God. And so when the, when the Word of God reveals the Holy Spirit as being eternal, automatically we have to recognize we're dealing with God. We're not dealing with the force sent from God. We're not dealing with the power of God. We're not dealing with something from God. We're dealing with God when we're dealing with the Holy Spirit. That's why we are allowed to worship the Spirit. We are allowed to pray to the Spirit. We are allowed to uh, reverence and, and, and glorify the Holy Spirit. We're allowed to do all of those things. A lot of people are not comfortable with that. They're, they're, they're fine with the Father, they're cool with Jesus, but when you start talking about worshiping the Spirit, they get a little uncomfortable. Well, let me just tell you, is He God? And do we not worship God? And, and I'm going to tell you, maybe, I'm not saying that you must worship the Holy Spirit with, you know, concrete words and determination, but what I'm saying is you can worship Him. He's eternal. Hebrews 9.14, just listen. The writer of Hebrews asks this question, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself without blemish to God, how much more shall He purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So right there in Scripture, you know that when it's said once in Scripture, it doesn't need to be said twice to be true. When it's that clear in Scripture, that's all you need to know. The Holy Spirit is eternal, but He's also omnipresent. I love what the psalmist wrote, and this is, this is not so much theology as it is a song that was written, a worship song. In Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, the psalmist said, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence. And now, who's he writing to there? He's writing to God. And so he's saying to God, where can I go from your spirit? And that spirit that he's asking that hypothetical question about is, is the presence of God. It's God himself. He says, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will uphold me. And so the psalmist is saying, wherever I go, I will be in the omnipresence of God the Spirit. Where shall I go from your Spirit? But it's not only His eternality or His omnipresence, but the Spirit is also omnipotent. It's getting close to Christmas time, and we'll probably, I'm, I've got a, a couple of messages stirring in me right now, and one of them may involve this verse from Luke chapter 1. The angel is speaking to Mary, and she's saying, how in the world can I, a virgin, conceive a child? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now listen, when we think of Christmas, we almost invariably, we are almost always fixated on God the Son, and well, we should be. It's the incarnation. But the story actually begins, the process of the incarnation begins not with God the Son, but with God the Spirit. And the God the Spirit is introduced as the facilitator of Mary's conception. And the omnipresence, the power of the Most High God is paralleled in Gabriel's testimony to Mary with uh, the power of God is parallel with the Spirit of God who's going to overshadow her. And then we have His omniscience, and that means He knows all things. This could not be more clearly stated than it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. These things God has revealed to us 
through the Spirit. I'll be coming back to this verse, but for now we're talking omniscience and this is where it states it. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And so brothers and sisters, I know this is not, you know, run the aisles kind of teaching here, but what I'm trying to do is reorient our minds to understand that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, especially for those of us that either are or were uncomfortable with the person of the work of the Holy Spirit, we're not, we're not transgressing, we're not moving into a dangerous zone, we're not entering into area, uh, into error, we're talking about God, eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God, and His name is the Holy Spirit. And so we've got to readjust our thinking, and I understand how it happens. One of the, one of the damages that has been done over the years is that a lot of things that are bizarre, some things unbiblical, ungodly even, have been perpetrated and somebody will blame it on the Holy Spirit. And so the knee-jerk reaction for uh, multitudes, large sections of Christianity is, okay, there's way too much error associated with the Holy Spirit, so let's just do the pragmatic thing and let's just not talk about Him, let's not deal with this, let's just say, you know, He, he enters into us when we're saved, He seals us and, and He keeps us with the Lord, and let's not get into all the other areas. Well, we can't do that without dishonoring God. We, we can't play it safe because we have a lack of a comfort level with the Holy Spirit. We have to be big boys and girls and we have to say, in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, I want to honor my Lord according to the Word of God. And the Word speaks a lot about the Holy Spirit. And it may be inconvenient for us. It may call us to have to unlearn some things so we can, uh, for the first time, learn some of the most important things. But the question is this, I mean, we're either going to protect our comfort zone, potentially, and I hope, I hope you're not living that way. You're, you're probably in the wrong church if that's a goal of yours is to protect your comfort zone because we're into stretching around here. But, but the, the point being is this, is we can either choose to protect our personal comfort zone or we can just say, I'm going to submit my whole entire life, my mind, my heart, my pursuit of God, I'm going to submit it afresh under the authority of the Word of God, and God, I'm going to pray and soak my soul in prayer and say, I want you to teach me anything I can learn in the kingdom, and I want part of that to be is, who is the Holy Spirit, and, and Lord, what do you want me to know about the Spirit of God? And, and friends, I, I want to tell you, I don't think that we're going to be able to have that as an option in days to come. I, I do believe, and I know I keep segueing into this in almost every message I preach, but I, I just believe what's coming against the church in America is going to be so intense that those who are not filled with the Spirit will not endure. And if we don't know Him and, and objectively don't know what the Scripture says about Him, how do we dare assume that we will be filled with Him or filled by Him, however you want to say it? How can we say, I assume I'm filled with Him, and yet most, in, most of the people that I interact with would be about where I was on that piece of paper filling out all you know of the Holy Spirit and why? And yet it's a command in Scripture to be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. So, He's equal, 
in his divinity with the Father and Son. He's eternal, omnipresent, uh, omniscient, and omnipotent. But the Holy Spirit also has the characteristics of an individual being. And this is, I think this can be helpful because a lot of us have Star Wars theology when it comes to the Holy Spirit. It's like, the force be with you, Luke. And, and we kind of think that way. And, and we, we, we struggle with the concept of the Holy Spirit as a person because He's not corporal. He doesn't have a body. He doesn't have hands and feet and a face. That's the Son of God. He is, he is God incarnate, yet the Holy Spirit, being God, has personhood. And so let's just see a couple of things that kind of uh, undergird that statement. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 2 we read this, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now notice this, the Holy Spirit what? Said. Now inquiring minds want to know, how did he say it? By what means did he say it? Was it an audible voice that apparently is coming from the Holy Spirit? Was it an inner voice, an inner witness that was received by multiple people and affirming it at the same time? We just don't know. But the same Holy Spirit that was speaking in Acts chapter 13 to motivated and inspired Luke to record it that, yeah, I said that. I said, set me apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So the Holy Spirit is speaking, but He's also speaking and He's signifying, I am calling out Barnabas and Saul because I have work for them to do. Now a force doesn't call anybody's name. A force doesn't speak. We're talking about a, a rational being speaking in the first century to call these men unto the work. Acts 8.29 says the same thing, but it's to an individual. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. Now listen, we have to think, we have to be thinking Christians. The Bible doesn't say that the Lord Jesus said to Philip. It doesn't even say that the Lord said to Philip or God said to Philip. The Bible is very clear here, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go get up in the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch and bring him salvation. And Philip did that. But again, the Holy Spirit speaks. Now we have to ask ourselves, th this, is, this is how I read my Bible and I process uh, theology. Okay, if it's theologically asserted in the Bible, am I experiencing it? Because I, if it's in there and it's stated as a fact, and that's the way the Holy Spirit operates as the third person of the Godhead, then if he's a talker, is he talking to me? A am I hearing him? Does he have things to say to me that maybe because of my default position about who he is or my ignorance about who he is, maybe he's been talking this whole time and I just haven't heard him. You know, those are the kind of thoughts that I think risky Christians need to, to entertain the possibility of. Uh, let's go to the next part. He not only uh, has the ability to speak, but he, he possesses the attributes of mind, will, and feeling. These are all concepts of personhood. So when we're talking about the mind, Romans 8, 27, he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There you have it. Just we got to look at the words of Scripture. The mind of the Spirit, he has an intellect. He doesn't have a physical brain. He's not, he's not in a body, but he has an intellect. He also has a will, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. 
All these are empowered by one and the we're talking about the spiritual gifts here. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Very plain speaking, what that is teaching is the Holy Spirit is the steward and the dispenser of gifts, and He allocates the gifts to Christians as He wills, as He wishes, as He wants to, as He determines. And so that again is an attribute of of personhood. Not a human being, but a person, a being, a divine being. So he speaks, so he thinks, so he wills, but he also feels. Watch this in Ephesians 4.30. Listen to this command. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you've been sealed until the day of redemption. And so another aspect of the person of the Holy Spirit is that he has feelings. Now we don't like that because we, you know, our image of strength and divinity is, oh, he's above feelings, he's beyond feelings. Well, as we read through the Gospels, do you ever see Jesus feeling anything? As we read through our Old Testament, do you ever see the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do you ever see him feeling anything? You ever ever pick up on God is angry sometimes in the Old Testament? Sometimes he's pictured as weeping over his children. Jesus wept. Jesus wept more than once. Jesus wept over cities. Jesus wept over the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus became angry and incensed at religious hypocrisy. And here we are commanded to consider the way the Holy Spirit responds to our lives. And we're said, don't grieve him. Now, most of us know the verse. I am not as convinced that as many of us have stopped and said, well, I wonder what that means. I I remember one time looking up the word because I just figured it meant something kind of ethereal, kind of misty, kind of symbolic. You know what the word grieve means in the Greek? It means to grieve somebody. It just means to upset them, to hurt them. And, And literally, it's amazing to me that he is divine, he is sovereign, He is glorious, He is immense, He is immeasurable, and yet because He is a distinct person, He can be wounded. It doesn't lessen Him, it doesn't diminish Him, but He is portrayed in Scripture as being able to be pleased or hurt. So the question again arises, how is is my posture, my attitude, my belief system, my interaction with the Holy Spirit, does it, does it, does it, Does how I respond to who he is, is that bringing him pleasure or am I grieving him? So again, I think going through this, what it does is it slows us down from our default denominationally discipled uh, camp that we're in. And we come out of that camp, we say, oh wow, this is way more intense, much bigger, a whole lot more facets to this than I ever imagined. So at the very least, we have the opportunity to be humbled by the Scriptures tonight. Maybe at the very best, we've got the opportunity to step towards the Holy Spirit in a way that we've never given ourselves permission to do so before. So, again, just kind of wrapping up, he has a relationship with human beings. The Holy Spirit is portrayed in Scripture as having a relationship with human beings. He can be grieved. By the way, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, do you remember what they did wrong when, when Ananias and Sapphira, right before they experienced the judgment of God, they were, they were called into account for lying to the Holy Spirit. Lying to the Holy... It's just mind-blowing to me. It's not, it's not lying to Jesus or lying to God the Father. Ananias, Sapphira, y'all straight up lied to the Holy Spirit. And boy, they regretted that. And they didn't have a long time to regret it, but they regretted it in that moment. 
By the way, Jesus taught about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So again, we're not dealing with um, some impersonal force. We're not dealing with some emanation from God. The Holy Spirit is a person. And that means he interacts because he's omnipresent, omniscient, and um, omnipotent. That means he has the ability in his personhood to interact with you personally while at the same time interacting with every other Christian on the face of the earth. And so this, again, I get stirred and I say, okay, if he's a person, he, he is in me, and, and he has a relationship with me, how aware of him am I? So let me ask a question. Not, not, yeah, let me just make it personal. How aware are you of your personal interaction with the Holy Spirit? Those are the kind of questions that say, oh man, there's something more. Because if, you're, if, you, if you can't answer that question, and some of you can, some of you have been graced and blessed and taught well and you, you've, you've operated in courage and you've, you've moved forth and you're pursuing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so you can see marked growth. You can see the evidence of Him in your life. Maybe you're operating in, in the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe you're growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you've learned, and I, I hope all these things are true for you, you've learned to discern His voice and so it, it's, it's not as awkward. L- let, me, let me just tell you something I believe. And I'm stepping away from the pulpit I'm giving you permission to disagree with me completely on this because this is my opinion. I think it's right, but feel free to disagree. I actually believe you can grow in such depth of your relationship with the Holy Spirit that you won't be walking on eggshells. You won't be wondering, am I getting it right? Am I getting it wrong? That you will move into such a relationship with him that as Abraham was the friend of God, and as Jesus called the disciples his friends, that you and I can actually be friends with the Holy Spirit. And that is his desire. He doesn't want to be that perpetual confounding puzzle in your head. He, he, He is your God, he is your Lord, and he wants you to rest in him, to be able to move in him, to be able to grow in him without a sense of pressure or fear or angst or, or overt self-awareness. He actually wants to not only introduce you to himself, but it is only through the Holy Spirit that you will ever get to meet yourself. You, will, you and I can never know who we are until we are interacting with the Holy Spirit because, listen, we've already read the verse, the, the, the Scriptures teach, who can know the spirit of a man? Who can know the mind of the man except the spirit of that man? We can't even know our identity apart from a, a working revelatory, revelatory work of the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's go a little bit further down, okay? Y'all still with me? Right, the Holy Spirit is the agent of revelation. This is huge, huge. He engages in such activity as revealing, 2 Peter 1.21, teaching, John 14.26, witnessing, Hebrews 10.15, interceding, Romans 8.26, speaking, Revelation 2.7, we've already covered that concept, commanding, and I want to get to that in a second, in Acts 16, and testifying. So again, These are all communicative. This is the Holy Spirit actively communicating. Now, this is going to stretch some of us. 
I used to teach this. I regret that. I pray one day that I will be able to locate cassette tapes or CDs and break them or burn them. Where I, I remember making statements that the only way God speaks today is through the written Word of God. And I'd pound the pulpit and I'd let the spit fly and people would say, Amen, it's just too bad I was wrong. How inconvenient. God does speak through the Word. And I do not believe that God will say anything subjectively through the Spirit that is in conflict with the objective written Word of God. And I'm going to tell you something. When I really need a word from the Lord, the first place I go is to my Bible. Because there's no wobble room there. Properly interpreted, that's the most solid ground you will ever stand on. But there is this issue that the Bible does not speak to everything that pertains to life. What chapter do you turn to when you've got to choose between a job in Atlanta and a job in Topeka, Kansas? Where's the verse for that that says, go to Topeka? Stay in Atlanta. It's not there. But I need a word from the Lord. Well, you don't have a verse on it, so what, you just kind of cross your fingers? No! Because He is the agent of revelation. He leads, not only in the big picture things, but again, in that friendship component, he will whisper in your ear. He will direct your paths. If, if you and I can discipline ourselves to stop leaning to our own understanding and tarry and be patient and abide and wait, God has not lost his ability to communicate. So let's look at some of these verses. When we talk about revealing, 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they carried, were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will often use people in your lives. You know, I would say this about anybody that is bringing a biblical message, and that person's motivations are right, and they're speaking uh, truth, that person is being used as God's voice into our lives when we are submitted unto that preaching. And again, as long as it's a, a sound doctrine, and it's true, and it's motivated by love, I don't have to say, well, I, you know, I just, I don't, I don't particularly care for that person, that, that man or that woman who's trying to impart truth to me. I, I don't like their style. I don't like what they say. Listen, if, if they're telling you the truth, and their motive is the glory of Jesus and the good of your soul, you do well to say, I believe that is God speaking to me, revealing to me through this person. So he reveals, the Holy Spirit reveals. He teaches. Um, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but you do know you still got some things to learn, right? Okay, just make sure we're all on the same page, because we all have room to grow. Um, John 14, 26, the, the promise of Jesus. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's a double whammy right there. He will teach you. That's revelation. The Holy Spirit is directly involved in our ability to grasp spiritual kingdom truths. Directly involved. And apart from the Holy Spirit, you will never learn anything. You, you can gain facts, but you'll never learn the, the heart of the author of those facts apart from the Holy Spirit. But it's not only that He's going to reveal, He's also, and I love this, the older I get, this is more and more important. He's not only going to teach you, but He's going to bring to remembrance all the things you already learned. So it's not only a revelation, it's recall. Hallelujah. 
That's one of my favorite things, man. You, there are times and moments where you're in a conversation, maybe it's an intense one, you're, you're, you're trying your best to represent a, 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 a holy standpoint, the heart of God on a matter, and maybe you're talking with somebody that's smarter than you, maybe you're talking to somebody that can speak better than you, and all of a sudden you can come up with this, oh man, I'm outmatched, and, and maybe they get a zig and you ran out of zags and you don't know what to do, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just downloads something to you. It goes from your mind onto your tongue, through your teeth, and all of a sudden you've said it and you're saying to yourself, you know, I can't really wear this on my face, but I just got that guy right there. Man, yes, way to go. And listen, I know that's a little, maybe it's a little silly, but that's what Jesus said he'll do. That he'll give you what you need when you need it. Some students come finals, they like to claim that verse. I, Dad, I don't have to study. Well, why not? Oh, Holy Spirit's going to teach me all things. And, and so they pray, Lord, bring to my mind all those things I've never learned in the name of Jesus. Well, it doesn't work that way. We're not talking about, you know, completely empty well. But what we are saying is that the Lord has, has committed to us that as the Holy Spirit has come, He's your teacher. So I'm just going to encourage you. Every day show up for class. Every day. I mean, I challenge some of you in love. Wake up every day from this point forward. And before you turn on whatever you turn on to start ingesting data into your mind, just stop and say, Lord, what do you want to teach me? Holy Spirit, teach me something fresh. Teach me something new. Teach me something that I can use. He's the teacher. He's also the witness. Hebrews 10, 15, the Holy Spirit also bears witness. That speaks of the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. This is uh, kind of a cousin to what Jesus taught. My, my, my sheep know my voice. They're going to hear my voice. Well, listen, we, we typically don't hear an audible voice, the voice of the Son of God. And now the voice that was present on earth in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, the voice of the Son of God, is now the voice of the Spirit of God. And it's that internal witness Mistakenly, sometimes we call that a conscience, and the conscience is part of who you are, but it's more than your conscience. The Holy Spirit will straight up speak to you, and again, it's a matter of learning His accent. How does He sound? What does He say? And friends, we can grow in this. The, the key that I want to seize on here is that He is actually doing this all the time. And so, if we're able to go years, maybe even decades, and say, you know, I I don't think I've ever heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a great opportunity for you to add to that statement. I've never heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, but I want to, starting today. I want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I, I don't have time to run down the immediate rabbit trail where people say, but how do I know if it's his voice or my voice? Right? Am I the only one that's ever struggled with that? Again, I just come back to it. If it's good and godly, it's probably his voice. And he may be working through your lingo, your accent, the way you talk, the way you hear yourself. But friends, you can develop this discernment that's so sharp that you know the difference between you speaking to yourself internally and the Holy Spirit speaking internally. Revelation 2.7, he speaks. We've already covered that. And um, he says it this way, he, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So in the back of our Bible, the Holy Spirit is still talking to Christians. In the book of Revelation, so Jesus said when He comes, He's going to be talking. In the book of uh, Acts, He's talking, He's speaking. 
You get through the epistles where, where he's being unveiled again as being an integral, interactive process of a part of the Christian life. And then when you get to the very back of your Bible to a time that has not yet happened, the Holy Spirit is still speaking. So in order for me to believe what I used to believe, that he doesn't speak anymore, I have to come up with a really solid answer to when and where the Holy Spirit called a time out and said he was going to be quiet for a little bit. And that's what I was taught as a cessationist. That, well, no, once the Word of God was completed, he didn't have to say anything anymore. Except the very Word of God that he inspired says that he will keep talking. So it's not in opposition. I don't know who I'm arguing with here tonight. Probably ghost of, you know, debates past. But, but I, it's, it's the idea. It's like, no, actually, I didn't stop believing my Bible. I, I, people ask, Jeff, you don't believe your Bible anymore. You're talking about the Holy Spirit and hearing the Holy Spirit. Why don't you just read your Bible? I do. And it's because I read my Bible that I really believe in the voice of the Holy Spirit and His leadership. It's not because I quit believing my Bible. It's because I started believing it. He commands. I, I'm probably going to have to end right here in Acts 16. Yeah, I still have a whole other page of notes, so we'll come back. But listen to this. And this is, this, yeah, this is a great place to end, actually. In Acts chapter 16, Paul's trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What's going on right here and right now, Lord? I've, I've completed this assignment, and, and now I'm at a crossroads. Lord, i got some great ideas that I want to do. Now watch this, Acts 16, verse 6. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, watch this, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now just pause for a minute. Here's the entourage of apostle missionaries, and they're going out, and they're just like, we're going to take the gospel over there. We're going in there. We're going we're gonna, to you know, tackle hell with a water gun. Here we come. We're going we're gonna to just attack the kingdom of darkness with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going we're gonna to bring the gospel to these pagans so they can be saved. And the Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going there. And the argument might, well, why? It's part of the mandate. It's part of the Great Commission. It's, 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 it's in alignment with my gifts. It's, it's in my heart to go there. And yet the Holy Spirit was so clear that he said to the missionary, he said, uh, your good idea is not to be made parallel with God's directive for your life in this season. So I want you to listen to me. Now I'm unpacking that a little bit, granted, but that's, that's in there. It is the authoritative, commanding voice of the Holy Spirit that rises up and says, great idea, but I'm not going to let you do it. Now, God doesn't always say no, Okay. So depending on who raised you and if you had a affirming set of parents or, or a guardian in your life or a not affirming, you're, you're probably more inclined to hear God saying no or saying yes. I grew up anticipating the no. I married a lady that didn't ever hear no. And so she has no problem, you know, hearing the yes from God. But here it is right here. He says no. And then if that wasn't enough, verse number seven. So they obeyed in verse number six. They did not go there. So they come up to a place called Mysia, and they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. That, to me, that is just incredible. The Holy Spirit gave the authoritative command, I don't want you doing this right now. And it wasn't sin. He wasn't convicting them of sin. He's, he's preventing them from going down a road that was not consistent with the yet-to-be-revealed plan of God. So I'm going to encourage you tonight before I send you home. Most of us don't like getting a no. That's just kind of, 
We want what we want. We like our ideas. We think we, you know, we're trying our best, and when we, when we start moving in a direction, it's because we just kind of believe in that. And sometimes God closes doors, and sometimes it's not just through circumstances. He will close the door via circumstances sometimes. I've seen him do it in my life more times than I can count. But sometimes the circumstances would even allow you to go, but the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, you'll sense an unease, You may even be able to discern clearly just what he's articulating, no, not now. It may be a strong caution, and it's not a fear. It's not because you're cowardly. It's not because you're fickle and you can't make up your mind. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit, and he is literally using your mind, your heart, your emotions, your vocabulary, and he's saying, I don't want you to do this yet. You're going to understand why later. And if you're in a season like that right now where maybe you feel like, you know, that God's got this plan and you're supposed to figure it out and he's not speaking to you and you don't know what to do and you're starting to feel like, man, he's probably upset with me. I should know. I, I assume he wants me to do something. And yet in your heart, you do not sense the favor. You do not sense the permission. You do not sense God is moving you in that direction. I would just say this, and this is my last piece of counsel for tonight, especially if a lot weighs on that decision. I'll share a prayer with you. I've said to the Lord on more than one occasion, Lord, I don't know if you're saying yes or no right now, but I don't have peace about it. If it's yes, I have all the confidence in the world that you can get that absolutely clearly through to me. And so when I know it's yes, Lord, I will absolutely move. So Lord, if I'm mishearing you, then say yes and say it loudly and I will obey. But until then, Lord, I'm going to trust that the caution that I have is a no from the Holy Spirit. And I will honor you by waiting. Now, friends, I know there's two ways you can go with that. But our desire is to honor the Lord. And I promise you this. God has never looked at a human being and said, I just, I don't know how to get through to her. I just have no idea how I can cause her to hear me or cause... When he is ready to get it through to you, when he is ready to move you, just look through Scripture at how easy it was for God to get the attention of people like Moses, people like Abraham, people like Paul, whether it's a yes or no, when God's ready to clearly communicate it, friends, you're going to hear his voice.